Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. The first man brought sin into the world. Jesus, the God-man, atoned for the sin of the world. The first man turned from God the Father in a garden. Jesus Christ, the God-man, turned to the Father in a garden. The first man brought us thorns. The God-man wore a crown of thorns. The first man was naked and unashamed. Jesus was stripped naked and bore our shame. All of history and all of Scripture has been culminating to the place where Jesus is going to shed His blood. And His bloodshed begins in Luke 22. We're going to pick up the story at verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and His disciples followed Him. It was a place that He would often go to pray, to, to pull away. No different on this occasion. And on reaching the place, Jesus said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. So Jesus goes a little bit further. Knelt down and prayed. Now Jesus at this point has been betrayed by Judas Iscariot who has gone to get the soldiers to come and arrest Jesus. So Jesus knows that his death is imminent, that Judas will return with those soldiers, that he will be arrested and flogged and beaten and crucified. And so what Jesus doesn't do, as many of us would do under duress and in stress, he doesn't hate God. He doesn't run from God. He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't permit himself to sin. Instead, what Jesus does is he prays. He prays. And so we have a record, which we'll read in just a moment, of a prayer that Jesus uttered in his darkest hour, in his most difficult day but first, let me say a, a couple of things about prayer. Prayer is communication with God, right? That's how the relationship with the living God of the Bible is cultivated. Now, God is not a person like us, but He does think and feel and act, and He is very much alive. He's not just an impersonal force. So when we pray to God... We're not just delivering information, we're building the relationship. Because when we pray, we're not telling God anything that He doesn't already know. God, I, I've had a very bad day. God would not then say, I had no idea. God is never surprised by what we tell Him because He knows exactly what's happening Therefore, prayer is about building the relationship. Jesus prays a perfect prayer. Jesus prays a model prayer. Jesus prays in the midst of trial and trouble and tragedy, which means when life gets hard, it's helpful to run to God. Now, as we pray, a few things happen. Number one, 
sometimes prayer does move the hand of God. You see, God does hear and answer every prayer. He answers it one of three ways. Yes, no, or not yet. It's just like parent. A child comes and makes a request to the parent. The parent will answer, yes, no, not yet. That's us with God. He's our Father. And sometimes in prayer, it moves God's hand and He says yes. And number two, prayer changes us. It brings us into alignment with God's will. It brings us into agreement with His plan. So you see, a lot's really happening when we pray. Now here's where our text leads us to something that's a little mind-blowing. If Jesus is God, then who's he praying to? Well, I want to try to explain this to you. It's hard because we're forced to use human language and human imagery for God stuff. So who's Jesus praying to? He's talking to God the Father. So this is the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, speaking to the first member of the Trinity, God the Father. The clear teaching of the Bible is that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're co-equal, co-eternal. They share all the divine attributes, and they live with communication in community. So before you and I existed, in fact, before all of humanity existed, the God of the Bible was loving in relationship in community. We're made in the image and likeness of God. That's why we communicate and we have community and we want friends because we're made in the image and likeness of that God. And so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been talking to one another for eternity. And Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, enters into human history and takes on flesh. He becomes a human being, so God becomes a man. And as he's praying, we have this opportunity to listen in. What does it look like when God has a conversation with his own Trinitarian sense of community? So what, in effect, we're doing today is we're going to be eavesdropping. This is a sacred moment. This is a significant, special moment in the history of the world when we get to listen in to God conversing in Trinitarian community. Here's how it reads. The prayer that Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And Luke tells us an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. 
So here's Jesus praying to God the Father. He has this prayer partner group who are failing him. He has angels ministering to him, comforting him. But let's focus on the most important relationship here. What about the Father? You know, sometimes it's wrongly stated, wrongly thought, as if God the Father were the mean one and Jesus was the nice one. As if God was angry and Jesus was punished. Truth is, in eternity past, God the Father and God the Son agreed that the plan, the plan for forgiving human sin would be the death of the second member of the Trinity. This is where Jesus says elsewhere, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. What he's saying is, I'm not a victim. I'm part of the plan. I agree to the plan. So just as Jesus is grieving, so in this moment, God the Father is grieving. And Jesus says this elsewhere, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He is the exact representation of the Father's nature. So when you see Jesus, He's a mirror. He is a reflection of God the Father. So if He's grieving, the Father is grieving. If He's in agony, the Father is in agony. They are having then this intimate, heartfelt, painful discussion. And maybe it goes something like this we're here we're here at this day that we knew would come they're on their way to arrest me they're going to beat me and scourge me and physically destroy me and they're going to crucify me and father what I want you to know right now is that I have great anxiety about that. I have great distress about that. It's not that I'm unwilling, but I want to have one final conversation with you before we proceed forward. Regarding this account in the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus was, quote, deeply distressed and troubled. In Hebrews 5, 7, speaking of Jesus' prayer life while on earth, it says he prayed with fervent cries and tears. We just read in Luke 22 that he was in anguish. One of the things I love about the Bible is its brutal honesty, particularly in the darkest of moments. Yes, it's all going to work out. We know how the story ends, but it's not going to be easy. Yes, we believe in the ultimate providence of God. God works things out. But along the way, sometimes it's just really brutal and painful and horrific. Are you there? Have you been there? We're in agony. We're deeply distressed. We're having our own fervent cries and tears. You know, the Father doesn't say to the Son, hey, you just need to toughen up and, you know, take it 
No. The Father and the Son have this sacred moment, and Jesus says, this is literally killing me. What I'm about to experience has me in great distress and anguish. And here's what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't in these moments question, is God real? Does He love me? Does He know what I'm going through? He in effect says, Father, I honor you. And Jesus demonstrates that by perfect submission in the midst of agony. Luke, the physician, the doctor, he's a medical doctor, is recording this and reports that Jesus is actually sweating blood. That is a very rare medical condition that's precipitated by the most extreme duress. You have to be in absolute agony to all of a sudden start sweating blood. Jesus has gotten there. And in those moments, dear friends, it is reasonable to go to God and say, I don't know if I can get through this. Jesus did. In his full humanity, that's what Jesus did. And then he has this remarkable statement. Not my will, but yours be done. Now let's make sure we understand why Jesus is so grieved in the garden? Why is he in distress? Verse 42 again, that prayer, Jesus begins with, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. His anxiety, his agony is all in relation to some cup. So let's talk about that cup and why Jesus is in distress over it. That cup is filled with the wrath of God. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah all speak of it. And here's the picture that the Bible gives us. And I want you to to visualize this. Hear this. You and I are sinners. We're sinners by nature and by choice, by thought, word, deed. And if you disagree with that, you're a bigger sinner than you thought you were. And every day, You and I sin, and it's like a drop into a cup, and it's being collected, and we're pouring sin in. And So that cup is the cup of the wrath of God against sin. Jesus is looking at this cup, this cup that's filled with everyone's sin in the history of the world, And with tears in his eyes, he looks at the Father and he's saying, is there any option but to drink every drop in this cup? And with tears in his eyes, the Father says, Son, we both know that if there is to be salvation for anyone, you must drink that cup every single drop. Here's the good news for you and for me. Jesus drank that cup, the cup of the wrath of God. That's why Jesus was sleepless and restless and in anguish and sweating blood because he's about to exchange places with us. 
This meant physical, emotional, spiritual, uh, mental anguish, duress that's incomprehensible. When God made him who knew no sin to become the sin of the world so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so that you know that God loves you because of what Jesus endured on the cross. That cross is where it's most clearly seen God's love for you and for me. So you can't look at a cross and say, okay, where's the love of God? <laughs> there is the love of God. That God loved you so much that He would pour out wrath upon Himself, that He would suffer and die in your place as a friend, though you and I don't deserve it. That's the love of God. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.